Welcome to the 454th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Jacob Hess, author of the novel The Bright Abyss. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Jacob Hess, author of the new novel, The Bright Abyss. Jacob, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. If someone hasn't heard about your novel yet, how would you describe The Bright Abyss? Yeah, um, I guess it's a mix between Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, in in a way. It It takes place in like a space universe, a a universe I created that has a a feel of that kind of adventure that Star Wars brings. But there's a lot of world building like that goes into Lord of the Rings as well. And and those are some of my favorite um, stories. And they were really the masterworks that I used to really inspire this story. So it's a mix between those two. Sure. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Bride Abyss? Yeah, so the book is about uh, this kid named Jeremiah who his father passes away and he leaves in this family heirloom, which he discovers hides these secrets, hold the secrets to destroying these creatures that are trying to consume the universe. And so it's a fun story. It's He goes on this adventure, makes friends along the way. The I think what really inspired the story was just, so I'm a Christian and I think it's really the story of the gospel that inspired the story, just how, just the love that is expressed through that within what God has done for us in Christ. And so I wanted to share that through a fantastical world. And the story is really about love and hate and good and evil and how those clash together and and dark and light and light and just it, is there anything that can overcome death? And Jeremiah wrestles with that throughout the story and he finds out the truth at the end. So that, that's really some of the things that inspired it. Sure. And what are your earliest memories of books and reading? Yeah, earliest memories. I wasn't actually big into reading growing up, interestingly enough. It, it felt more like homework or just work, but I loved stories. And I loved when my mom would read to me a lot growing up. She actually read to me Lord of the Rings when I was growing up. And I watched a lot of movies and stuff like that. But I didn't connect that with reading until probably more college. And for me, it was just helping me to like when I started to enjoy reading was when I started reading things I was really passionate about. And it helped to connect like my passions with the world around me through these books. And it it really felt like joining someone like bringing someone else into my journey uh, with me through these books. And so I think that's what's so amazing about books is they can they can help really broaden your friends basically and the people that you can know and learn from. And so what was your writing journey that led you to writing and publishing The Bride Abyss? Yeah, I like I said, I always had a love for stories. So I was a big story nerd, but I didn't start writing fiction until after college. I, I, w- I did enjoy writing in, in, in school, but I didn't enter into the fiction realm until I think it was right after I graduated. And I was just, I, I had this story in me that I wanted to get out. 
And so I just sat, I just decided to sit down one day and start writing. And, and this book eventually came out of that. But it, it took about six years, though, on writing it on and off because it, it was like, like I said, I was entering into writing fiction and, and it's a different world. And it's really difficult to write this story that, that has a, a great, like, great, beginning hook that captures you a middle section that really brings you along and then an ending payoff that is really satisfying and through that whole thing developing the characters in a way that is impactful and um meaningful and so it was really difficult to find out how to do that in a way that readers would enjoy it and follow along with the characters and so it took me a while it definitely t- it was there was some long just frustrating periods and moments when I just put the draft aside for a while and because I didn't like how it was going. But I think just continuing to press in and not giving up eventually led me to a space where I actually enjoyed what the book became. And and what do you think that you had to learn along that way? I think you said it was six years working on it, putting it aside. And from what you're saying, it sounds like it it wasn't in the beginning, at least adding up to what you wanted it to be. So what did you feel like you had to learn along the way? Yeah, part of it was just storycraft. I didn't know um, just really what I was doing totally. I, I knew what I liked, but I didn't know how to recreate that. And so I had to learn a lot about storycraft and and just character development and all, all the like genre and all that good stuff. And I also had to find out what this story was about. It takes, I think, a little while to, to do that. And the, the best way to figure out what a story is about is by writing it. And so I had to start, start, stop, start over again quite a few times. And what was your writing process when you were working on The Bride Abyss? Did you outline it or just jump into the story and see where it led you? Yeah. So when I first started, I just kind of jumped. I did a, a preliminary outline, just bullet points. And then I just jumped in and started writing. But it wasn't until, are you familiar with the story? A little bit, but you can tell yeah. me more. Yeah, so the story grid is it's basically a way to look at your story and critique your story and make it better that this editor named Sean Coyne made after 30 years or so in the book publishing realm. And so it stumbled upon a podcast that he was doing with this other guy where he was critiquing this guy's story as he was writing it. And it really helped me to think more critically about my own story. And I got his book and it really helped me to understand what a good outline is. And so I, I changed my outline, helped me to under, like really find my problem points so I could change them like in the story. Because the biggest hurdle is, I think it's pretty obvious when a story is not working. The biggest hurdle is figuring out why it's not working and listening to some of that, like learning story craft from a, someone experienced really helped me to figure out what wasn't working and how to fix it. And what was his name again? I didn't catch it. Yeah. So Sean Coyne is the name of the editor. Got it. Got it. Yeah. They, ha- they have lots of resources on their website, a story grid and the, he, he has a book and Got there's it. also a podcast. Yeah. And so what fiction or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Yeah, I recently read Treasure Island, actually, which is like an old classic. But I really like that. I'm reading. I'm reading a retelling of the the stories of King Arthur in like the Round Table by um, Steinbeck right now, as which which is interesting. It's 
have you read any have you read any of uh, the king arthur i've read some yeah, fables? yeah yeah i just it's just written in a very interesting way where like it's it feels very ancient so it's it's interesting i've been enjoying that what else am i reading i'm reading a few nonfiction books as well but yeah, I think those are the fictions that I've read Got recently. It. And given your experience of working on your novel, The Bride Abyss, <laughs> off and on for six years and and then publishing it, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Yeah, I would I would advise if it's not the story grid, it finding some way to up their craft, especially if they're just starting out, whether that's taking a class or for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Or yeah, getting involved in some sort of group or something like it's hard to just grind on your own and to and it's really hard to analyze your own work without an outside um, voice just really speaking in. And then I, I would also just say don't give up because because I could have give, given up a million times and or I could have just given up by publishing something that wasn't good and that I didn't feel um, just good about. So I, I would say just keep going, keep grinding at it and find help when you need it. And are you working on a new novel now? Yeah, th this is actually the first in a series of novels. And so I've been working on the second one, getting that uh, finished up. And it's going a lot faster than this first book, I think, because of <laughs> a lot of the things I've learned since then. And where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel, The Bride Abyss? Yeah, they can find me at jacobehess.com. That's uh, Jacob with letter E, Hess.com. And, and they can also, I'm on social media like Facebook, Jacob Hess, and <clears throat> Instagram, Jacob Hess as well. And on my website, they, there's um, actually, if they sign up for my email list, they can get a, a free copy of an, an ebook that I wrote, which talks about beauty and how we can live our lives with a bent towards beauty, how everything we do can be a work of art, basically. So it's a fun little read. Great. Again, we've been speaking with Jacob Hess, author of the novel, The Bright Abyss. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Jacob, thanks for doing this interview. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now stay tuned for a reading from The Bright Abyss by Jacob Hess. This is Chapter 4 of The Bride Abyss. Chapter 4 Repent! Repent or be doomed! The voice of a traditionalist carried over the hustling pedestrians on Yam Street. Jeremiah was briskly making his way home. He'd had enough distractions for one day, and the piercing voice of the traditionalist was only making his poor mood worse. Jeremiah passed between two Kawanese, their entirely hair-covered bodies muffling the sounds of the traditionalist for a moment. Then Jeremiah heard his cries again, louder now that he could see the Movarian. He wore a white coat with silver buckles that marked him out from the rest of the milling crowd. It meant to signify his purity, but as dirt-stained as it was, his garb was signifying something quite the opposite. 
The man had a crazed look in his eyes. They flashed with hot white vengeance on all who passed. Jeremiah tried to keep his head down, but the traditionalist caught him as he walked by. Do you believe? Do you follow the old way? Jeremiah looked up with an awkward smile, an attempt to be polite and move on, but the traditionalist held him with eyes that burned with unending white flame. I seen you with the faith of the old way, brother, the man said in a voice strained and scratched from much yelling. The traditionalist was holding a visiscreen in one hand that shot up an image of the nine laws taken from the Book of Stories, or simply called the Book by some. There were only a few copies of it left in the world, and those only fragments. Jeremiah counted himself lucky to have a fragment of his own, the only other thing handed down to him by his father, besides the amulet. I see you reading the nine laws, the traditionalist went on. The others just walk by to their doom, but you read, you know. Purity in all things is the only way to salvation. Jeremiah smiled again, but it did nothing to disarm the intensity in the traditionalist's gaze. There were few who paid attention to the traditionalists that were left after their loss to the liberalists, except to throw upon them scorn and contempt. Jeremiah wondered if what little glance he had given the man had greatly encouraged him. My father was not a traditionalist, Jeremiah thought, feeling a sliver of contempt for the traditionalist before him. I've seen them before, yes, Jeremiah said. You know, I see it in your eyes. You, my brother, are on the road to purity in all things. Law one, worship only the high king Ava. Law two, keep clean from the blood that stains. Law three. Yes, yes, I know. I've heard them all before. But I really must be going, Jeremiah said. The traditionalist grabbed at Jeremiah's sleeve. They call us traditionalists. Bah! We are the defenders, the defenders of the only way to save ourselves from the coming doom. Jeremiah pulled his arm free from the traditionalist and was tugged away from his grasping hand by the passing crowd. He could hear him crying again over the people, Repent! Repent or be doomed! James was right, Jeremiah thought. They just like the rules. They live for the laws, but deny the power of the stories. Not like my father. But the stories really aren't true, are they? Jeremiah mumbled to himself. A floating flybot with a visiscreen buzzed around his head, spewing the propaganda of the newly elected president of Convar City. President Odin told CCL that his experience as the president of the Consumer Coalition has aptly prepared him for leading our city. He has plans to use his vast resources to improve many sectors of Convar. Even the foreign terrestrial district may see renovations in the near future. Jeremiah waved the bot away, but it kept on after him in its persistence to be heard. Get away, will ya? Jeremiah groaned and stepped off the street, slipping into a dark alleyway. Jeremiah sighed. Now I can hear myself think. He turned to walk farther down the alley when a strange glow stopped him. He looked around for the source of the illumination, discovering that the light was coming from underneath his shirt. He pulled the amulet out from under his shirt to find it glowing with a warm, brilliant light, a light that seemed to chase away all the darkness around him. It's never done that before, Jeremiah said, but then he remembered that it had, once, 
the day of the first encounter, the day his father died. The ground beneath Jeremiah's feet began to rumble and shake, throwing him to the ground. Bewildered, Jeremiah looked up to the sky to see a small cylinder soaring through the air. It skidded along the side of a skyscraper, sending up shards of glass and chiron metal. The next moment, Jeremiah looked on with horror as the object changed course and propelled itself directly toward the alleyway. Jeremiah closed his eyes, too afraid to move. There was a crash, a ringing in his ears, a billow of smoke choking his throat. Then, silence. Jeremiah opened his eyes, and there before him was the cylinder, etched with swirls and flower markings. It was black as night and made of a smooth, reflective metal. The front of the cylinder lifted to reveal an opening. From the opening ascended steam, accompanied by a hissing sound that caused Jeremiah to take a few steps back. A limp figure emerged from the smoke ascending into the sky. It hit the pavement of the alleyway and made no movement or sound. Jeremiah waved away the smoke that enveloped him and moved toward the figure. Its garb was black and reflective, just like the material of the cylinder, but the helmet it wore made it impossible to make out who or what the creature was. A few more steps, and Jeremiah was at its side. He reached out a hand to tap the figure on the shoulder, when it suddenly lunged at him and grabbed him by the throat. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.